You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another great show of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I am your host, Joseph James, and we have an amazing guest today that what she's going to be talking about and sharing is the the trauma, the hurt, the pain, the guilt, everything that comes along with or that can be attached to a divorce. But this lady has not only just come through it, but she is helping coaching men and women across the nations, across the lands, across the seas to, in, uh, to be empowered, to become a better version of themselves, to live at life's at the fullest, not only in their own relationship, but also in health and wellness and entrepreneurship. And I just want to welcome you guys because she's got a lot of things, a lot of great things to say. Uh, Miss Kelly uh, Calabrese to the stage. Miss Kelly, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Joseph, it is my honor. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, wow. I mean, just kind of reading your bio and just understanding, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's no doubt that divorce can be, can take a toll on anybody. I, I, I thank God that I haven't been through one, you know, but losing my wife to, to death, I, I almost feel like divorce could be harder. And the reason why I say that is with death, one thing that I realize is, well, she's no longer there. There is no, I'm going to run into her because we have kids, or I'm going to still deal with her on text messaging or, you know, uh, the, the court issues or all the things that can come. But with divorce, you, it's almost like a drug, it can be a drug out process that can cause a lot of hurt and pain and resentment and hatred and, you know, things with children. I, I mean, take me through what was going on. Yeah, you know, I don't, it's hard to compare. Obviously, there's so many factors that are dependent and independent of divorce versus death. But no. in death, it is final, like you said. And in divorce, there's so many things that the person who leaves and the person who's left uh, doesn't think about. Like the person who's leaving, they might not be thinking about, well, what about that first Thanksgiving? Or what about the graduation ceremony? And who is going to pay the medical bills? Or, oh my goodness, uh, that woman is on the vacation with my kids that I'm supposed to be with. Or you're seeing your you know, former spouse on social media posting pictures, so happy with another person. And so you know, now they live across town and they have another family and perhaps stepchildren. I mean, there's just so much depth to it that you can't possibly know until you go through it. And it is a tearing of the souls. I mean, when two people come together in marriage, it is supposed to be till death do us part. And it is a spirit, mind, body conjoining. And so when that's broken apart, your soul is torn, but there's still a piece of them that's with you. And your soul is made up of your mind, your will, your emotions. So if you were the one who was left, you're probably dealing with a lot of rejection. And if you were the one who kind of blew up your family and left, they tend to deal with more guilt and shame for blowing up the family. So there's there's so many factors. How long were you together? How much did you identify with being that person's spouse? I mean, 
how much did you value and treasure that marriage? Um, was it abusive? Was there adultery? You know, there's just, there are so many factors to it and every single one is different and everyone will go through the grief process. It can look definitely different, but you can't skip it. You can't just, you know, invite the next relationship into your life and move on because you take that same person with you with all the hurts and you likely attract a similar person to the spouse that you had. So wow. there's a lot of deep healing that really needs to happen. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that about, you know, um, one, it is a tearing of the souls. And I just, I was reading a book the other day and it was explaining that I'm like, golly, I'm like, you know, I think of it sometimes kind of going back, growing up in a faith-based home, we were always talking about like, okay, like the sex before marriage thing, right? Okay. Or even dating and having the, the soul ties that come with that, you know, and I always made it reference to like an apple. Okay. If you as a lady has an apple, your heart is an apple. And I, as a guy come and I sleep with you, or I'm in a relationship with you, or you're in a relationship with somebody else. It's like somebody taking a piece of your heart. So right. when it comes, finally comes down to the time of your husband, your soulmate, it's who God created you to be with. Are you giving them an apple? Are you giving them the core? You know, but we're giving ultimately, regardless of that, and regardless of the healing, not to take away from it, but like it is a stripping away of, of the soul. It, it, and, and it's, it's a, would you say that's the most painful process is, is the, is the realization? I mean, I know there's things that go along with it. Like you said, it, the, the healing of, let's say the, the, the abuse, but where, where do you see is, is, is the pain? Not that it's not in different areas, but like, do people really realize that it's a tearing away of the souls? Uh, I know I personally did. And I, I believe people do. I mean, I, remember seeing that my husband was on a dating website while we were still married. I could tell you where I was standing, what I was, I mean, just that moment. And I literally could feel my soul tear. Wow. And when he said, my commitment to our marriage is zero, that went to my heart. It went to my soul. I mean, it just like ripped it in half. And so the soul ties that you mentioned, when people are, you know, having those intimate relations, every person that you have been with has a piece of you and you have a piece of them. Yeah. So if you're now having sex with someone who's been with 10 people and who knows how many people they've been with, so pieces of their soul are now in you and you're part of other pieces souls. So that's why there's a, a design, the way things are supposed to be. Now we're in a difficult, struggling, fallen world, so it doesn't necessarily always happen that way. But the design is you're made for one person and your souls are knit together and you stay together for better, for worse and sickness and in health, you know, till death you part. Um, but it just, it doesn't always happen that way. And God does hate divorce, um, but he also hates his children being abused. So there are times when it is necessary if it's abusive. And I know, you know, it's a lot of what you talk about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, you know, I grew up in church that divorce was wrong. You don't ever get divorced. And I watched my mom, you know, go through the abuse, the physical abuse, the verbal abuse, the emotional abuse. Um, and I, I can safely assume the sexual abuse, you know, maybe being forced into things. Um, I don't really know 100%, but I could just safely assume. But even I asked her at one point in time in our, in our, in my, when I was a child, I said, mom, why don't you get a divorce? I mean, he, he beats you. 
my dad beat us. And, and of course, my, before my dad ever passed away, we had a phenomenal friendship. He was my best friend. But her, her even though she came out and basically said is, I didn't want to split family. But I think really what she was saying a lot more is, I don't want the children to hurt. I don't want, you, you know, it's, it's my disbelief because that's what church says, you know, and I, I have a hard time, Kelly, believing that as much as God does hate divorce, and I'm, I'm, I'm a totally in agreement with you on that, is um, I don't think a God that loves his children enough to send his own son and sacrifice his own son for, for me, you know, is okay with me or anybody staying in an abusive relationship. I believe he loves me too much. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. He hates divorce, but he hates to see his children abused. There's a lot more mental illness that goes on than people realize in marriages and people stay because of their commitment. And as you said, they will stay for the children and the statistics for divorced children are not good. Their chances of suicide are higher. Their chances of dropping out of high school are higher. Teen pregnancy is higher. Jail is higher. Abortion is high. I mean, it is not good. Their chances of getting divorced are significantly higher. So if you look at what can happen generationally to a child with divorce, you have to take it seriously. I mean, you really want to do all that you can. You want to be able to say, I tried everything. It just wasn't safe to stay. It wasn't healthy to stay. It was abusive to stay. And it's not better for the kids to be in an abusive family. And you're also training them about what marriage is like. So you're training children. It's okay to be beat up and it's okay to beat people up. So that's not okay. That's not kingdom. That's not God's way at all. So you want to get to a safe situation. Um, So yeah, there is a lot of mental illness behind abuse. And again, the hurt people hurting people that that's just perpetuated generationally. Yeah, absolutely. And I literally just released a little, it's a little 17 second, 18 second reel on Instagram and Facebook yesterday about if hurt people can hurt people, because we know it's true, healed people can also heal people. And that's just the vessel of God, because I know I don't have the healing power myself. It comes through, you know, but it's, it's getting out of that because at the end of the day, and this can go for anything in life, I believe that love is not taught, it's caught. We catch love. How did we really learn about love? By the model of our parents. You know, I learned that marriage was about abuse. I learned that marriage was about yelling and screaming and things like that, because that's the environment that I I, I grew up in. However, seeing and being around other people that loved on their wife and I'm like, man, I want to, you know, like we see the videos on social media of the old couple that are in their nineties and they're still loving each other. You know, they've been married for 60 something years. I'm like, man, I want to be like that. So I knew there was something different, you know, and I'm like, well, if there's something different then I know that this doesn't have to be it. But a lot of us, we grow up in that. And I can see where children that are now the generational curse or the, you know, of they get married and then into divorce. And if you, if you see that, you can almost trace it back to, well, my parents got divorced and grandparents got divorced and things like that, because they know and understand that becomes a model to them that it's okay for it to happen. And I'm not making excuses for people that get into a, a relationship that's bad. Okay. The mental abuse, the physical abuse, the spiritual abuse, the emotional abuse. Cause like you said, mental health is on the biggest rise we've ever seen in our nation recognized anyways, I should say, um, than, than ever before. So let me ask you this, like 
you you made the you made the comment like you you saw him on on the dating site and you felt like your heart your soul was being ripped out of you. What did you do? What was your response? I mean, like, what what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that was a moment of shock, obviously, and you know, unexpected and just hurt and loss. And I stood there, kind of frozen for a moment, and then you just start searching, like, what do I do with this? What do I, I mean? He was asleep in the master bedroom down the hall, and I'm like, what do I do with this? And so I ran out to the garage for privacy, and I got into the car, and I just sat in the car for a moment. I'm like. Who do I call? Who do I call? Who do I call? And someone was highlighted to me who's a friend whose son used to uh, live with us when he went to seminary for four years. He's moved on, got his PhD. I mean, I haven't, I keep in touch with him, but I hadn't thought of his dad in years. And it was this, this man, Pastor Jerry, who was highlighted to me. So I call him and I'm like, this just happened. And he said, I'm going to break the soul tie off of you. And he said, repeat after me. And he walked me through that prayer. And he said, you have legal grounds for your soul not to be tied to his. And so I could feel a peace just wash over me after that. So that was my initial reaction. <laughs> and then once, you know, the morning came and the kids were off to school and I had the opportunity to have a conversation with him, um, then, you know, it, it just, the next step started where I could see he wasn't committed to yeah. our marriage. Now, you said something interesting that I've never heard before in like the timing of it. He immediately, I mean, you see it on, you see it on your phone. You see it, he's on a dating app. And what would we say? 10, 15 minutes later, you're on the phone with the pastor. And he's yes. like, I mean, to me, like, and of course I haven't been through this, but I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, why not the conversations? Why not all the things of like, why are we doing this? Why can't we fix this before the breaking of the soul type? Okay. And, and I, I have a question asked because I want to understand this better. I get and I understand completely the spiritual side of the breaking of the soul tie. But what, would you also say that at that moment, regardless of what he was going to do, if he was going to fix it, that you are now done with the marriage? And we had been in, in counseling for a okay. year already. Okay. At, at, to this, but I just happened to in that moment see that he was on a dating site. So, okay, all right, makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a a bit of a slow fade. As much as that moment was shocking, because yeah. I was yeah. all in. I mean, I was a ten in commitment, and he was a zero. Wow. And so um, that was just kind of how it it went. I didn't know Pastor Jerry was going to do that, but that that's how it went. He's like, you <laughs> gotcha. have you know those legal rights now. Wow. Um, but okay. we had been you know working on our marriage for a bit. We were married twenty five years. Wow. Wow. So let me ask you this. This is a question that I've I've uh, have been asked by females and, and of course males too. And and I've heard and I don't I can't remember if I read this or what. But it says it, it takes statistically, it's about up to three years that a woman, it takes for a woman to actually leave because of, let's just say, whatever problems are happening. You know, the, the, is that true? Does you seem to be that something very accurate? From the well, on the, average, the, yeah. the person who leaves has been thinking about it for two years on average. So I mean, some longer and some shorter, but they do take time to give it thought. And the person who leaves has probably a two-year head start because they've already been thinking, okay, how am I going to do this? What am I going to say at work? What am I going to say to the kids? Where am I going to live? What am I going to say to my mom? What? So they've been thinking about this for two years and the other person really could be blindsided by it. Like I, I really was blindsided even though we were just going to marriage counseling as a, as a couple. Yeah. And so that 
shock of, wow, he had a two-year head start. So when you're still like, oh my goodness, I can't even, I'm numb. I'm in denial. I'm, I'm in anger. I'm in fear. I'm, he's already like, I got an apartment. I, you know, I'm on the dating side. I, so they're way ahead of you. So the person who wow. leaves in that sense definitely does have a bit of an advantage. So let me ask you this is because I've seen this with friends. I've seen this with other people that I've coached is one, one individual, let's say the person that leaves, right. And you're talking about being two, three years ahead of them, possibly, you know, is, is this why you also see like they're immediately jumping into a relationship right after physically or logically we see, well, we know they're just, they're, they're just, this is a fling or this is a, a rebound, but really this has been a mental process for a couple of years of going on and preparing themselves to move on. It just happened to be almost right after the actual physical divorce or the physical moving out from each other. Right. Yeah. And it is both men and women. So it used to be more men that asked for divorce. In fact, biblically, a woman couldn't ask for a divorce right. for a long time. So it, it had to be the man. Um, but now obviously women can. COVID shifted some of the divorce statistics a little bit. So women are now asking for divorces 70% more than men are. You have a lot more people getting prenuptial agreements more than ever. So they're going into it thinking, ah, this might not work out. This might not last. So a lot of prenuptial agreements, which, you know, might not tell you a lot about or tells you a lot about their commitment or lack of it. Um, the number one age for divorce right now is 30. What? The number one age for marriage is 28. So people are getting married later. They're living together. And then they're not staying married nearly as long. So married at 28, divorced at 30. The second highest age for divorce is 50. And that's typically when the kids are now out of high school. You're an empty nester and you've been together 20, 25 years. And you're looking at each other going, we don't even really like each other. We don't have anything in common. I'm tired of taking care of you. I'm tired of, you know, fighting or not having what my needs met. And, and that's when the women are saying enough is enough. Yeah. Like, and they're leaving. So whether they're leaving for another man or they're just tired of being abused, but people will jump back into a relationship pretty quickly. And for the most part, it is not recommended. I mean, any counselor, and I'm a certified divorce care coach and counselor, I will tell you not to rush into that. You need to get healed. At some point, the next relationship may be that final piece of your healing to really heal, heal those places from your marriage. But you need to get a lot of work done before you get there. So where is your identity? Can you be a whole authentic person standing by yourself, hopefully with God? Um, have you really forgiven? Have you forgiven your spouse? Have you forgiven yourself, your in-laws, God? I mean, wherever you're holding that bitter root. Um, have you renewed your mind? This is my new life now. This is, you know, me. Being alone, you know, standing good, being okay. Can I be by myself, be alone and not lonely? And I want to get good there before I need another person to feel complete. Um, do I have vision for my life? Uh, am I healthy in every area that I possibly can be? Am I presenting myself well to my next future partner? Am I whole physically, relationally, financially, emotionally, socially, spirit in every area? You want to get as whole as you possibly can before you move into that next relationship. And are um, even are you at a place where 
you're just loving your life and you're okay. And if that person comes along, it's just an incredible bonus to you having a joy-filled, peace-filled life because you will attract like. So if you're bitter, depressed, addicted, you know, whatever, that's where you go into attract. But if you're walking around going, man, I am so good. I'm so healed. I'm, I'm whole. I'm enjoying myself. I've got this authentic life. I'm okay by myself. And then you're available to attract a person on a much higher level because they're free. They've done the work. And you're not going to be equally yoked with someone who is in a lower level of life and energy and friendships. And you want someone with similar fruit in their life. Yeah, that's so powerful, Kelly. That that really is because, I mean, you can see it a lot throughout even somebody that hasn't been married, maybe even a younger person that just continues to date somebody that's just, you know, toxic after toxicity, after toxicity, after toxicity. And I've always tried to figure out like, is it like a father figure in their life? Is it like, you know, where does that model come from? And I, I think you nailed it on the head where it's like how they feel about themselves, how they, you know, cause I've seen plenty, especially on the, on the female side, like you're beautiful, like, but your identity isn't there, you know? And I'm like, you're the type of female that can attract anybody and get anybody that whether you want or they want, but because of, you don't have your identity. You're not okay with being alone. You're attracting the people that will give you anything that you want, but not give you what you really need, you know? Right. And so, when yeah. You, when you're hurt, you're going to do something. We're all going to glitch in some way. And some people may be the perfectionist, the enabler, the good girl. Um, you could be the sick one because when you're sick, you get love and attention that way. You could be the rebellious one because when you go off the rail, you get attention by being rebellious. And so ultimately, we're all looking for unconditional love. The only place that we can get it is from God. So we're doing things to attract love, and it's not necessarily in a healthy way, but it's a manipulative kind of controlling way that we figured out, even as a child, we figured out if we got good grades, we got love. Um, yep. You know, so we, we figured out if we were the, the good girl who helped mommy, we got love. And so somehow it starts in childhood, but then it just magnifies as you're an adult and you're, you're figuring it out. And so we want to work all that stuff out, all that striving, all whatever it is that you do, uh, you know, depression, isolation, you're doing something and you want it to be a healthy thing. You always want it to line up with truth, line up with light, line up with goodness, line up with hope. And if it's not, work on those stuff because you are, in a way, just living in the past and being a victim. And if you look at the scale of energy with victim being at the bottom and love being at the very top, that love, joy, peace, victim energy is actually equivalent to death. So it's the energy of a body that's decaying. So you're literally decaying when you're living an irresponsible, blaming victim life. You're dying is what you are when you're playing victim. So, and this could be in different areas of your life. So maybe you're a victim in relationships, but you're a superpower when it comes to earning money or you're a victim in your health, but you're a superpower somewhere else. So you might think, well, that's not me because I'm a rock star over here. But there's probably some area of your life where you're stuck or stopped in going round and round and round with the same cycle of whatever it is that's a low level thing. Yeah, absolutely. 
Is there a, when you're coaching people that are going through divorce, should should you do more focus on after divorce or during the divorce or all of it? You know what? I I do all of it. I have helped a few marriages be recovered, which is always the first goal. Like, hey, if it's not too late, if you come to me and then some women will be like, I hate him. I hate his tattoos. I hate him bald head. I don't want to be in the room with him. Like I'm in the guest room. And I'm like, okay, let's work on you. Okay. Let's just forget about him. Whatever happens, whether he stays or goes, or there's a new man, let's just work on you. And in working on her, it just changes you know, the dynamic in the house when I can get her to hold up the mirror and go, wait a minute, it's not a hundred percent him and zero percent me. Like, what is it that I can do better? Because even if you're taking it to the next relationship, you need to go, what was my part in it? Because everyone had some some little part, even if it was small. Yeah. uh, Both parties are guilty, you know, to, to whatever degree it may be. So when you're taking people that have gone through a divorce, right? And they're like, okay, I'm, I've made up my mind. I want to heal, right? Because there's always that denial too, right? Okay. Um, what do you have them? Because you said you want to be the, the, the best version or the, the, you know, healed in the most possible way, or, you know, is there a, I wouldn't even say a percentage, but are things that you really like to coach people in or, or, or tell people or inspire people on like, listen. This is what, here's a good indication of where you at in these different areas of your life that would, that most people would have success and not only just moving on and being healed, but getting into another relationship. Is there, is there things that you factor that you see has been like a great outcome for your, uh, um, your clientele and stuff, the people that you coach? Yeah. There are definitely lots of great tools that we can use, assessment tools to kind of see where people are. And one of them is simply your readiness to change. Like how yeah. how ready are you to actually do something? And some Probably people the hardest go, one too. <laughs> I want I want to cry. I am not ready. I have been wronged. This is unjust. I have been, you know, yeah. I just I just want to sit here and cry for a while. Great. You let me know when you're ready. How long are you going to give yourself to sit there and cry? When are you going to get back up? Then then call me because I'm here. I'm I'm ready. Right. I'm ready when you are. So some people just are not ready. They want to sit in denial, in emotion, in outbursts, in fear. And, you know, I'll check back in on them. Hopefully at some point they want to get back up. But then there's other people who are like, it's time I'm ready. And it's not just like this, oh, better, better, better. Like this perfect, like it's it's messy. It's it's down, you're triggered, you think you're okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're not because whatever you see them with pictures of another, per, you know, another person and you're like, whoa, that triggered me or they get remarried, that triggered me or, right. you know, it's Mother's Day and your kids have somehow been alienated from you and you're by yourself or Father's Day, you're apart from your family. I mean, it's, there's triggers along the way, but with healing and in time, you don't fall as long, as deep, as hard or as fast. You can go wow. through that cycle quicker and get back up and readjust in a healthy way. Is there a time for grieving? In terms of like, is there a limit of time? Do you encourage people? Okay, you know, cause I've run across people who's like, yeah, I hate my ex-husband. And well, how long has it been? 15 years. You know, I'll never get married again. Like, okay, there's some bitterness there, right? Okay. Yeah. But like, and, and the reason why I asked this question is, is this right here. And I didn't realize I was doing it until about 10 months after my wife and my dad had passed away. I kept on getting this question on Facebook. People reach out to me. It's like, how in the world are you still smiling? You lost your wife, you lost your dad, you're raising three kids by yourself, you have a business, like, 
you know, how are you still smiling? To begin with, I, I, the only thing I knew was, well, it's my faith, it's God, right? Okay, but even though that's the truth, it was still a really surfaced answer, so to say, okay? Because how do you explain to a non-believer that doesn't believe in God, that God is your, you know, your healing power, or you got through it because of God, or you smile because of God, right? So I'm like, I got to start thinking deeper. And what I didn't realize I was doing is when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, I felt in my heart, I need to share her story. So I would go on Facebook live. I'd do about a 15 or 20 minute, you know, live thing. And I, I, I'd cry, I'd laugh, I'd tell people my story, I'd give them an update, I'd pray with people, you know, and that's eventually how I coped. Well, I didn't realize that I was taking incremental times to actually grieve. The grieving process started not when she passed away, when she was diagnosed with cancer, you know, because even though I believed in my heart, God's going to heal her, I also knew the reality of is she was just diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. You've got a couple months to live, you know? And for me, what I realized is that I was taking time to grieve and I kind of relate it to this. If it's gloomy outside with a light drizzle, what do we all want to do? We all want to stay in bed and do nothing all day long, right? Okay. Because it's just like that somber, gloomy feeling. But if it's a pour down rain and it only lasts for 20 minutes, we kind of let it go and then we're done and we go throughout our day, right? Okay. I felt that if I was crying all throughout the day, it just added to more of the state of depression, me not wanting to do anything, me not having any purpose, not setting any goals. But when I realized that I was setting 15 to 20 minute increments of grieving and it being on Facebook, and then I had to come back in and be with my wife, be with my kids, be strong. I realized that when I grieved in incremental times, even if it went to, okay, I'm crying for 15 minutes and then I'm, I wipe my tears for one and then I'm back to crying again for another 15 minutes. I found myself that the one minute became two, became five, became 10, and I wasn't doing it all throughout the day. And that personally helped me get through the, the depression or the possibility of depression and, you know, not wanting to do anything. Um, do you see that there's a, not necessarily saying that you have to have it done in two years. That's not what I'm saying. But like, do you see that some people have just, you know, have moved on faster because of doing certain things and allow it? Like I allowed myself to grieve. I just didn't realize what I was doing in incremental times to keep from it being five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, and I'm still mad and hateful and I'm not married again, you know? Absolutely. To answer your question, there is a time, even if you look in the Jewish religion, when someone passes away, there is a time they sit, they mourn, they go, you know, deepness, community together, they honor the person. They, it's, it's very clear how to do it. And then there's a point where, okay, we're going to go back and live and, and do our lives. And then we're going to continue to honor that person. We'll have moments where we're sad, but there's definitely an ending point there. Um, here's an example I'll share with uh, someone who lost a spouse. My friend was married for 35 years. She lost her spouse in a very long-suffering illness. She took care of him for years. She watched him disintegrate. And when he finally passed, she grieved. She went to the grief group. She was in you know, all the, the church groups. She went to grief care. And one day, it was less than a year later, she called me and she said, it's time to have fun. And I said, okay. She said, I can't sit in the grief groups anymore. 
I can't cry anymore. I can't be around that sadness, heaviness, darkness. It's time. So I said, okay. So we actually started a faith-based singles group with, started with us. And we now, this is now eight months later, have 2,000 people in this group. And pretty quickly, she found someone in this group and she remarried. And it was just a year over losing her husband. But the difference was she had 35 years of a great marriage and she longed for it. She missed it. Her soul craved that companionship of that great marriage. So she was ready. Now, her adult kids may not have been ready as quickly, but... The joy on the two of them, and they did it in a beautiful way. They went to, you know, all the premarital counseling and uh, they waited till they were married to, you know, buy a house together. Um, but she missed it and she wanted it again. So her time of grieving now, does she miss her husband? Of course. You know, does she honor him? Of course. Um, you know, there's there's pictures of him and they included him in the ceremony and uh, her new husband honors her former husband. But that's how it worked for her. Now, someone else, you know, my dad's been gone eight years. I don't think my mom would ever look at another man. And that's her choice. My grandmother didn't after my, you know, the women just live longer in our family than the men. And they're alone for a long time. It's been five years for me since I'm divorced and I have not dated. Um, I know one day I will be married again. I desire that, but there's no anxiety attached to it. Um, I'm good right now. I'm enjoying my singleness. It, my journey was, it took me three years to get through the grief cycle. And it wasn't because my former husband was an amazing man. That, that was not it. It was my identity. It was, how could this happen to me? Um, and I was bitter because I was a good wife. I was a very good, dedicated wife. And this, this wasn't supposed to go this way. This wasn't supposed to be my story. So I was stuck in it. And so when I finally felt like, okay, I'm good. And he remarried in a moment. I mean, he was reengaged and remarried very, very quickly. So it was not like, oh, I want to go back. That wasn't it. But I am in this season now where I'm like, I love this singleness. I'm an empty nester. Uh, my dog was 18, just passed away. I'm like, I don't even have the dog anymore. And that sounds terrible. I, I mean, it's not that I wish that on the dog, but I'm like, I get to like turn the key and go. I'm healthy. My finances are in order. I've got great friends. Like what a great season. For me just to lock the door and hop on a plane or not answer to anyone. And so there's something just beautiful about the singleness for me right now. Um, And when the next season's supposed to come, it will come. I'm not forcing it in any way. Right, right, right. I'm I'm so glad that you shared that. What did you start doing? I I know you said it took three years of, of the grieving. What did you start doing to change your mindset, change your health, change the things so you can get through the grieving process, however long that was going to be for you? Joseph, I did all the things. I, mean, I was like, I'm, oh my I'm goodness. I, I was in counseling. I was in divorce care. I got certified as a divorce coach. I was at the retreats. I was at the Bible studies. I had 20 women come to my house every other Saturday for a year, just prayer group and I mean, every book, every pie, I mean, I was like, this has to stop. Like, how wow. do I get this hurt to stop? And I'm, I'm a knowledge person. So I was just seeking. And the more I learned, the more it helped me understand. I'm like, oh, that made sense. Like, even what you said before, like he'd been thinking about this for two or three years. That's why right. he was able to move on. And I'm devastated. So, yeah. um, the learning helped. I was surrounded by wise friends and in those dark door kicking moments that I could call them and just be sad and 
Um, it was a season of really difficult, unreasonable events, especially those first 12 months that were just, I mean, emptied me out and took me to my knees. Right. And it wasn't just the divorce, but so many other things that were happening, you know, with the kids and uh, professionally and, and moving. I moved four times in 12 months. I mean, it was just a lot of chaos and, and difficulty. Yeah. So I just pressed in, really, really pressed in. Yeah. And, and you, you know, <laughs> people have asked me this, uh, you know, so how did you get past losing your dad and your wife? I'm like, well, I just did everything I could. <laughs> you know, there was no specific thing, right? It was accumulation of multiple things. And I, I guess the part of me is like, and you talked about this a couple of times about the identity, right? When you get something stripped away like that, like a marriage, like a, you know, I was married almost 15 years, knew my wife almost, or I'm sorry, almost 14 years, knew my wife almost 16 years. So that was a big part of my life, you know, and I didn't get married until I was 27, yeah, 27 years age. So I wasn't young, you know, but being almost 40 and now a father having a one-year-old and then an eight-year-old and then a 10-year-old, a, a like, I felt like I didn't know who I was, like. My, my thing was like, I'm just going to go travel. I'm going to go to every motivational program I can because I want to find myself, you know? And of course there was some benefits. It got me on stage with Tony Robbins. You know, there, there was, there was a lot of great things that happened, but I realized also it's like, I had also had to make the decision of stop chasing, trying to find myself. My I was there the whole entire time, but I had to be able to tap into what was already there. You know, right. because I believe I'm a true believer. The things that we do go through in life prepare us for those times that are dark, for those times that are uncertain, for those times that you're just like, I got to find myself again, you know, and ultimately I didn't need to be found, but I needed to pull out what was already in me. So I knew that my identity truly was in God for me or, and it wasn't in somebody, it wasn't in being married. It wasn't in being a father. It wasn't in, even though I felt like I was like, man, I don't know how to change diapers. I got to do, I, I got to, you know, it, it was like, I'm a father and a mother all at one time now. Like there, there was no, even though there was a warning of things, like you just didn't think it was going to happen. So one thing that I, I, I heard, and this was interesting, I want to ask, get your opinion on it is Simon Sinek. You know who Simon Sinek is? Okay. I, I was running across a, a video of him and he talked about helping alcoholics recover. Okay. And it was like a 12 step process. And I didn't even hear steps one through 10. I don't even think he talked about it or steps one through 11, but he said this right here. And it really hit me because it was something I was already doing. He says, if an alcoholic goes through steps one through 11 of becoming, you know, uh, sober and not going back to alcohol, he says, if it doesn't do number 12, then he'll always go back to drinking alcohol. And number 12 was this is finding somebody that they can help and help them. Right. And I think for me, I was able to get through the grieving process because I was ultimately helping other people go through relational problems, trauma problems, things like that. And I was actually getting a lot of my answers to the problems that I had by coaching them, you know, and I don't necessarily recommend it for everybody. You get divorced today and, you know, in three weeks, you're, you know, you're coaching people on how to get through divorce. I'm not saying that that's good nor bad. But how has helping, how has you helping other people helped you get through this painful process? Well, that is the last step in the grief cycle. That's that helping others and loss adjustment. So, for example, when my husband, ex-husband sat me and the kids down and said, uh, 
yeah, your mom and I are getting divorced. We still love you. You know, he just had that little talk. And I was, I mean, I couldn't even breathe at the table because I'm like, I just ruined my kids' lives. So the commitment that I made in that moment was I'm going to get these kids set up for success. So they were going into their junior and senior year. So I'm like, I I need to get them in college successfully. So three years later, that day came where I had a freshman and a sophomore in college. It was an 18-hour day, got the vehicles, drove them out, unpacked them. They had cell phones. I had their tuition paid. I had their cars paid. I had, they had, you know, he's a baseball player. She's in a quest, like everything I could do. And I came home that night and I was like, okay, now what? Because that that was a three-year mark. And I really felt strongly you need to help people get through this grief of divorce. And I was like, oh no, oh no, that is not me. Like I kept, I was so private and so quiet. Like literally my <laughs> ex-husband had moved out before I told my mom and my brother. And I, I talked to my mom every day, talk, text, my mom, my brother, so close to them. And I was just so embarrassed by it that I didn't, I was, my clients didn't know. I mean, I kept this, the for sale sign was out. I mean, at some point you're like, okay, I can't hide this anymore, but I did not want this platform. So I went on this quest and I had already gotten certified as a divorce coach just for me because I wanted to learn. So I was already (laughs) certified, but um, I had gotten, it was just so fed by a place called the healing place where I had been a client and where I went to do divorce care that I went up there and I said, Hey, do you need someone to teach divorce care? And they're like, you're perfect. And so that first 14 week cycle that I taught was so healing for me. Wow. In fact, we, I still keep in contact with all 12 people that were in that first class and pray for them. And, but teaching it, it was a whole different level. It let me see how far healed that I was, but also how I could be ahead of other people and help them. So there was so much power. And then, you know, I did that for a couple semesters. And then one day I realized that there was someone in the class that I thought should teach it. And so the next level is teaching someone else to lead. So she happened to have a a degree in Christian counseling and she was recently divorced, but it had been a three-year process. So she had a long time to heal. And so now she's teaching the class and I love that. So it's the perpetuating, even building up more leaders to do it. Cause I can't, you know, do all the things at some point you got to pass the torch. So you adjusting by teaching others and then teaching others to teach others. That's building the legacy. I yes. Mean, it really is. It's, it to me is it's like spiritual duplication, right? You know, or multiplication. It's it's reproducing who you are through somebody else. You know, it's not just the blood from our kids. You know, even that's you know to me, I think that's our first. You know, um, but so now you've gone from not just coaching and divorce, but you also help people out in some a lot of other areas. How have you been able to transition from the divorce coaching to now the health and the wellness. And because you had a life of that, that was your life. I did. Yeah. By training, I'm a clinical exercise physiologist for, you know, 35 years now. I've been in the health, fitness, wellness industry as a coach. But in this last year, and I've been blessed to do so many things. I mean, writing, speaking, consulting, editing, spokesperson, media work, been on all the major networks, traveled the world speaking. Awesome. So blessed. But this season has been a little bit different. So I'm actually doing business coaching with a variety of different businesses that kind of came to me, but I have the anointing for because I've been an entrepreneur my entire career. But the thing that I'm really focused on now is it's called Women Who Prosper. 
And I'm taking women who are on the edge of their seats, who want to be leaders, who want to rise up and have betterment in every area of their life. It's a faith-based curriculum, but I'm, I'm focused on, you know, the half of God's army, the women, getting women to get rid of the spirit of unworthiness, the spirit of fear and empowering them to live this bold, courageous life where they get to do new things and they get to be overcomers. And whatever their superpower is to really hone in on their vision, their mission, their why, and to help evangelize them to go out and do those things. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful. Why do you think there's such a, it's, it's on both sides, you know, society suppresses men as, you know, the guys wearing, you know, the skinny jeans and being weak and things like that, not being the leaders of the home and where women have to now be the leader. Right. Okay. And I'm not against women making more money than a household that that that's to me, that's not leadership. Right. Okay. You know, but how has society or even cultures suppressed women to where they're getting to that point of not feeling empowered? They're not feeling worthy. They're not feeling the things that you were just saying that you do encourage and do you do help build up? Right. I mean, even if you look at when Jesus came on the scene for 400 years, women couldn't read the Torah. I mean, the Jewish law, more than half of them were against women. They were suppressing women. So Jesus kind of came along to go, hold on, we're missing out on half of God's army here if we're not helping women. And women have a, a role. You can go read, anyone can read Proverbs 31. The men are supposed to be out front. They're supposed to be the ones out there with the sword and the shield, fighting, leading, protecting, providing with God. And the woman is the support, the protector. And you can each have different strengths. Hey, if the woman is better at finances, let her handle the money in the house. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, however it works, you both have strengths, but, um, you know, it's this coming together with God in marriage. So if the man isn't doing that, if the man is down for whatever reason, if he's sick, if he's ill, if he, whatever, not being responsible, then the woman has to pull out her sword and her shield and just go out there and fight for the family. And that, that was the case in my family. My husband, he wasn't the provider. He wasn't the protector of yeah, we didn't have that security in him. He, a lot of, a lot of foolishness. So I did have to rise up and do those things. And, um, it's not the design, but it's, it's what will happen. If the man goes down, the woman should rise up. Yeah. Um, but if the man is, is out there trying and the woman pulls out her sword, she's going to cut her husband's head off and she's going to put him down and stab him. And that's not how it's supposed to be done either. We're here to support, to lift up, to evangelize, to cheerlead and, and to pull out their strengths and also wow. to help identify their weaknesses. Because the woman is the most intimate with the man and vice versa. So we see the fears. We see those, you know, the places where you're not thinking rightly. And to, in a loving way, call those things out. For example, if you're jealous, like, hey, Joseph, I see you're always comparing yourself to the neighbors or the other guy or whatever. And, you know, to do it in a, in a loving, kind way to bring it to your attention to help strengthen you in that and, and vice versa. Yeah, you know, if you yeah. saw that in me, then you should find a gentle, kind way to pull that out in me. I love how you say it, you know, that the, the men being in alignment with God and then the gentle kind of way, you know, it's like, Hey, we men, we have the ability to be able to talk to our wives. You know, we don't have to yell and scream. We don't have to control them. We don't have to be the alpha. So to say of what's been painted as the alpha. Let me ask you this because, you know, talking about your faith-based program is submit. 
the word submit in Ephesians. Okay. And you get a lot of, I know I can get a lot of flack from women when I read that scripture, wives submit to your husbands as unto God. Okay. And the way I've always looked and been taught, even though I grew up that way, you know, submission is in, in its form is love and respect. It's not a man controlling, or it should not be a man controlling, but how do you work with women to get them to understand the biblical role of submission in terms of helping their husband, supporting their husband, evangelizing their husband, um, you know, being the helpmate that God called them to be, you know, how do you go, how do you go about that? Or what does submission mean to you in the way that you, you talk about things or when you hear that? Right. Well, if you read right before that in Ephesians, before this, the woman submit, it's about man, be upright, get uh, right, 100%. be righteous, stand up, do like, so I am happy to submit to a wise man who is in line with God. Then yes, all day long. You got it. I don't have a problem with that. The only one who was perfect was Jesus. So I don't expect a man to be perfect at all. But I want to be under the covering and protection of a godly man, then absolutely. Yeah. Um, but if it's a foolish man, I, I can't submit. I mean, go and look up all the, the scriptures that talk about a fool. Like if you're dancing with a fool, you're going to become a fool and you're going to be abused and there's no wisdom there. So, yeah, I want to be under a wise man. I'm, I'm no. happy to be under his covering and protection and have that knowing he's with God, then, then yes. And then how I complete him and he completes me. Um, that's a power. That's a force for the world. When you it have is. a power couple, <laughs> I mean, watch out enemy. Like we're just, I mean, it's the woman who tramples the en enemy and crushes him under her heel. The woman is powerful. The, the enemy went after the woman first, try to take her out because she can with the man reproduce. So, um, yeah, I'm all for submitting under a oh, godly man. Powerful. And I'm glad that you said that because I knew you, I knew you were going to lead to it. And I, but I had to leave it open for you. You know, it's, it's a man coming under, you know, men love your wives like Christ loved the church because he gave himself for the church. Okay. And he served the church, you know, but if we're not, and, and I, I tell this to people all the time, ladies, if your husband is telling you to submit, then number one, he's not submitting to God. Okay. Number two, he doesn't know what submission is anyways, not biblical submission, you know? So I wanted to hear your take on that because I know there's no doubt that when you're empowering women to come in their rightful role within a marriage, that's part of it. But I think the rightful role all revolves around is the man and his rightful role, because right. how can anybody, whether this is an entrepreneurship business, things like that, how can any CEO, whether a man or a woman, okay, lead his people? his team to doing something if he's not doing it himself. Yeah. I mean, what, what happens in the home is just magnified out in, in the workplace. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, and you, you mentioned that earlier about like, you know, they could be struggling in their marriage, but like they feel successful in their business. To me, I think it's eventually that it catches up to, because I remember, and, and I was sharing this with you a little bit is when I felt like I was ready to move on because I had a, I had a happy marriage. Okay. And after 14 years, I'm like, you know, did I maybe have the wrong mindset? I was like, man, I need somebody to help take care of these kids. You know, I, I, 
I'm not built to be alone. <laughs> God help me. There's a reason why you gave Adam a woman because you saw that men was not fit to be alone. I was one of them, okay? <laughs> you know, and I, I was desperate, okay? But I was also going through a very fast healing process. Like God started my healing process before my wife ever passed away. I just didn't realize it until after she passed away, you know? And, but I met the, the lady that I just married a few weeks ago and everything was great for the first seven days. And then we met and then it just went downhill from there. Every trigger that you know, the man came out from her um, ex and her narcissistic, you know, the, the relationships that she was in. And I didn't even know what triggers were. Okay. But the reason why, and, 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 you know, a lot of the problems that we had is we both wanted more, but we weren't ready for it. We weren't ready to be in that relationship. We weren't ready to be committed because we still had some healing in different areas of our life. Okay. Um, I was still dealing with a lot of rejection. She was still dealing with a lot of what he did as well to her. But to get to the, to, to my point here is, you know, several months ago, we finally said, okay, number one is I'm trying to coach men on leading God leadership, but yet I am living with a woman and playing married. Okay. And not in, we were trying to do everything right, but we weren't doing it fully. And I finally said, you know what? I'm tired of the toxicity. I'm tired of this. It's either going to, we're either going to come under God's alignment and covering me as a man, you know, and, or we're, this is going to be done. This will not work for us because we see the cycle of toxicity between us. We know that we're supposed to be together. We know that God's doing great things through us. Okay. We're healing a lot but we haven't made that final commitment. And until it was, until I said, me as the man, as the head of the household says, I am not going to sleep with you anymore. I am not going to do these things with you anymore. It means get it on the couch. Or, you know, we didn't have the money at the time to, to move you out into a, a, to an apartment, you know, kind of thing. But until I, when I finally made that decision, did everything start flowing with us the way God has created a relationship to be? You know, and I'm not saying that relationships won't have difficulties. That's not what I'm saying. It's not, you know, peanut butter and jelly. Okay. You know, there's going to be the roller coasters at times, but it doesn't have to be toxic to the point of I'm wanting to kick you out of my house or I hate you, or I, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore through the covering of God. If everybody is doing what God has called them to do. And I, I truly believe, like you said, it starts with the man. And until I came under that covering, covering for myself and that alignment with God, did everything start to align within our relationship with my kids again, and then even with my business. So I was getting a trifecta of all three, but they were coming at different stages because we were not in a great relationship when we first met, but my business was thriving. I was doing seven figures easy, you know? That area was thriving. So I'm like, well, hey, if the business is doing good and my kids were good, I, everything else eventually work out, you know, but ultimately it came back down to me, me as an individual, me not being who I was called to in, in my relationship with God as the alignment with him, as the covering under him, and then the covering of my household, you know, so. Um, there's a lot in there about order. I mean, there's a reason and you can go back. There's a lot in there about marriage. And when you read it, it, it gives you the answers. No, <laughs> so it's no. in there for Without a, a doubt. That's the instruction booklet, <laughs> you, yes. you know? Um, so for those that are listening, how, what would you do for those that are in that process of maybe they've just gone through a divorce or maybe they're kind of 
getting towards the tail end of maybe they feel like they're ready to get out there, what would be some advice that you would give them besides coming to you as a coach? Okay. All right. <laughs> what would be some things that you can give them to help them out? Yeah. Um, I would say, keep your eyes on God. I don't know what your relationship is with God, but the quicker that you can, you know, have a, a heaven experience and really know that God is real and he's with you and he never leaves you, that that is the first step in the right direction to get realigned, religion. That's what religion is, religion. Mm -hmm. uh, line up with God. Um, so that would definitely be first. I would say, I wish I could say I did this early on, but forgiveness, um, forgiving yourself oh. is going to be really an important part of your healing. There was a book that I read. I just, um, giving forward. I think. Yes. Forgiving Forward by Heibel was a book that I highly recommend on forgiveness. And what I found in that book was that forgiving myself was actually the hardest part, that I was holding my own feet to the fire. And so if you have bitterness and you're, you're just stuck and just the thought of the other person makes you, you know, grind your teeth and clench your fists, consider that book, Forgiving Forward, even just for yourself to get out of that anger and, and fear. Um, Community, so important. Get yourself around people and don't get around all the divorced, bitter people. You know, get around okay. the people who have great marriages or who are, who are happy and single or have successfully gone on the other side of divorce. But you need to, you know, kind of have a pause, take a break because life happens fast. So cut out all the things in your life that aren't working. So even that to don't list of stopping the things that are just draining you or bringing negative things and negative people, like cut, cut stuff out, get, maybe you have to get off social media. Um, but what do you need to stop doing? That's not serving you. Maybe you're staying up late. Maybe you're watching porn. Maybe like start with it to don't lift list before you do anything new, but what could I cut out? What's toxic? What is not serving me? And if I miss it, I won't, if I get rid of it, I won't miss it or I'll be better for it. And then once you make room, because you've cut out the toxic things that no longer serve you, then you can ask good questions. Like, what do I need to start to do to start healing? Maybe it's simple. I'm just going to write, you know, three things of gratitude every morning or every night or start somewhere, but start to rebuild yourself. It could be journaling, um, getting out in nature. You, you need to do something different if you want a different result. So maybe you walk at sunset every night around a lake or Find something that's going to feed and fuel your soul. Listen to good sermons, get in the word and uh, be okay being imperfect. Be okay, you know, being sad. It's part of it. Jesus was sad. I mean, he was angry. He went through emotions. He was, you know, guttural yelling when Lazarus was dead, when he was in the temple and they were, you know, mistreating it. He was throwing tables around. I mean, it's okay. Whatever you're feeling, don't deny it. Like, God can handle it. Give it to God. If it's anger, bitterness, just searching. It's always, I like to have what I call a heaven experience. So the highest thing that I can imagine is heaven. So if you can just close your eyes in someplace safe and just imagine what it would be like to be in heaven, whatever that looks like to you, and being able to talk to the creator of the universe and just ask him, how do you see me? You can ask him any question and, and he will answer and it'll be profound and healing. It'll always be good. It'll always be peace-filled. You'll always leave with some answer. So just carving out that time to um, create that relationship is, is the most important thing you can do. Oh, I love it. Love it. 
Now, besides your coaching, you're also a author. Yes. You've written a book. Uh, yeah, I've written a few books. A few, a few books, yeah. Um, what, what has been so impactful about writing the book and which one do you feel like is, is the most helpful for what you coach people on? Um, well, the last, the last three books, the one was called Passionistas. And in a nutshell, it's what would you tell your younger self? So it's wisdom from someone who's gone through some stuff that you would say to your younger self. Um, the mom and dad Panura's book actually came out way before COVID, but it was about God, family, and then tending to the gifts that you're given without ever sacrificing your family or God. So it's mom and dad Panura's being an entrepreneur and still valuing family. And then the latest one is success habits of super achievers. And that looks at, okay, these are, people who've overcome some really difficult things, but they got knocked down 10 times, they got up 11, and not only did they get up, but they did something great with it. So it's not just the morning routine or, you know, just one thing, but how do they overcome something unthinkable, something really, really hard, and they did something great with it? That's good. That's good. You And now that's a, a collaboration book? Yes. Yeah, because you've got some pretty uh, some pretty heavy hitters in there. Yeah, I do. <laughs> they're, they're amazing friends. I'm so blessed with the people that I know. Um, Kyle Wilson is actually the the glue that brought that group together. He's a dear friend. I've been in his mastermind for almost eight years. Wow, it's I, that's a whole other subject. But there's so much there's so much power to being in the right circles. Yes, you know, and I mean, we we can talk about you, you know. Tony Robbins has said it. Um, Jim Rohn has said it. You know, you, you are who you hang around. You know, if you're hanging around five drug addicts, you're going to be the six. You know, we can. That's a whole other subject. We won't get into that right now. <laughs> yeah, um, well, Kyle Wilson is actually, he was Jim Rohn's business partner for 18 years. That is right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, okay. Now, now they're making sense now. Making sense. For whatever reason, I was thinking he was a younger guy, but he's not. Uh, yeah, he's later fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I had a, 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 like a 25, 28 year old in my mind and I don't know why I did. So, but, um, well, how can people get in touch with you? What is the best way? Cause I mean, I know you're on social media, you've got your websites, um, you've got your coaching programs, um, your Facebook groups. What is the best way for people to reach out to you, getting signed up if they're interested? Uh, I mean, people can email me. I love to hear, you know, people's stories and what inspired you about this message today with Joseph uh, Kelly with an I at kellycalabrese.com is my email. We're Kelly Calabrese in all the places. Kellycalabrese.com on Facebook, um, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram. I have private Facebook groups for divorced women that they can join. Uh, Intentionally Fabulous is actually the name of my divorce recovery program. And I took all the things that I learned in three years and put them into one course. It was the things I wished I knew when I was going into my divorce that I put into this program. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Well, Kelly, I am so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much um, on the short notice. And uh, we really appreciate it. For those that are listening, don't, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to Kelly. She's a wonderful soul. I've been following her for quite a while. Um, not stalking her, but we have a circle of friends. And um, she's uh, finally getting to connect with her. And she's just an amazing soul, an amazing person, has a, a very powerful story. And there's no doubt with my mind that uh, for those that are going through not just the divorce, but also the, the, the wealth and the hellness, the hellness, the health and the wellness 
Um, and then also entrepreneurs and building the, the businesses and things like that, that uh, she's the, she's the woman, she's the woman to, to come after and search after. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Joseph. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.